You're listening to the Palladium Park Podcast. This show and our website, palladiumpark.com, are designed to improve thinking and communication skills. Your hosts are the co-founders of Palladium Park, Jenna Shaw and Colin Wheeler. Together, they explore the vastness of intellectual curiosities in the world. Like and subscribe to this show to never miss a new episode. Although we are consultants, we are not consulting you through this podcast. All information shared in this podcast is intended to be informative and entertaining in nature. While we make every effort to make sure topics discussed on this podcast are accurate, they may be incomplete or changing in nature. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast by participants are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Palladian Park. This is a reading of Palladium Park's blog post, Misperceptions of Mutual Exclusivity. Misperceptions of Mutual Exclusivity. We benefit when we understand what is and isn't mutually exclusive. We can often see much of the world as mutually exclusive. Either something is one way or it isn't. But we do this despite knowing full well that the world is not black and white. Indeed, there are infinite shades of gray or nuance. While it may be easier to see the world in binary terms, doing so can be detrimental. Thinking spectrally and probabilistically can help combat the effects of binary thinking, but just how wide-reaching can illusions of mutual exclusivity be? Business. We recently read Good Company by Arthur Blank, co-founder of The Home Depot and owner of AMB Group, which holds various businesses such as the Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United FC. In the book, he writes, quote, Businesses can and should do great things. They can be part of the solution, not the problem. In fact, because corporations wield so much power and influence in society, they have an unmatched opportunity to do good for the people who work in them and for the communities in which they do business. I'm not just talking about adding a few benefits and engaging in a little philanthropy on the side. I'm suggesting that doing good becomes an integral part of business activities. When we leverage our business interests for the greater good of our people's lives and our community's well-being, while at the same time increasing profit, business and philanthropy become inseparable. I think of it as lifting both sides of the barbell. You can't lift, squat, and overhead press a great weight from just one side, either from under the plates of capitalism or from under the plates of social responsibility. You have to get your entire body centered under that bar to propel it skyward, balancing the reality of the need for profitability with the challenges facing communities our nation, and the world, end quote. This passage, Arthur wrote, may sound like the work of fiction to some, and with the behavior of some corporate actors, it is no wonder. The business news is filled to the brim with the nefarious acts of greedy executives or the effects of poorly incentivized employees. Some recent examples include the Wells Fargo account scandal, widespread data gathering by technology companies, and emission scandals by automobile companies. You don't have to go back that far in time to find much more egregious transgressions. These examples of poor stewards paired with significant structural issues like the growing wealth gap and environmental destruction have deteriorated the perception many have of capitalism in America and other places of the world. However, we need to remember that the news is a map for what is actually happening, not the territory. Everyday businesses of all sizes are doing wonderful things to help those with whom they interact. That is the point. We can easily see instances where something isn't working and say that the whole system needs to be abandoned or replaced without taking into consideration instances where it is working. 
There's a lot of gray, and blindly scrapping the good with the bad can sometimes be the worst option. Below, we expanded upon an example from Good Company. It illustrates just how much people and profits can be simultaneous goals. They support and build off each other to provide long-term strength. The figure starts with the company focusing on the customer client experience, and that in turn makes customers and clients like the company, which in turn makes customer and client retention high, which in turn provides stability for the company. So then that allows the company to keep focusing on the customer client experience. Understanding that the ability to prioritize money, people, and the environment simultaneously is not mutually exclusive allows us to view endeavors from a new vantage point. From this view, we can see and plan further. We can align incentives. Instead of being a burden, it becomes the competitive advantage. It becomes your brand, your character. Tony Shea understood this as CEO of Zappos, Inc. In his book, Delivering Happiness, A Path to Profits, Passion, and Purpose, he describes how important it is to build a lifelong relationship with each customer, even if many interactions yielded no sale. He highlights an example of just this in his book. Quote, I'm reminded of a time when I was in Santa Monica, California, a few years ago at a Skechers sales conference. After a long night of bar hopping, a small group of us headed up to someone's hotel room to order some food. My friend from Skechers tried to order a pepperoni pizza from the room service menu, but was disappointed to learn that the hotel we were staying at did not deliver hot food after 11 p.m. We had missed the deadline by several hours. In our inebriated state, a few of us cajoled her into calling Zappos to try to order a pizza. She took us up on her dare, turned on speakerphone, and explained to the very patient Zappos rep that she was staying in a Santa Monica hotel and really craving a pepperoni pizza, that room service was no longer delivering hot food, and that she wanted to know if there's anything Zappos could do to help. The Zappos rep was initially a bit confused by the request, but she quickly recovered and put us on hold. She returned two minutes later listing the five closest places in the Santa Monica area that were still open and delivering pizzas at the time. End quote. Business leaders who get this concept accumulate incredible goodwill that, while intangible, is neither recorded on the balance sheet nor amortized. This form of goodwill is inherent with the brand of the business and is something that those who interact with the company come to expect. That's why they do business with that company. It is the company's competitive advantage. Arthur Blank had accumulated enough goodwill from his time building the Home Depot and was thus afforded an opportunity to be a steward to Atlanta by acquiring the Atlanta Falcons. Fictitious character, although rumored to be based on a combination of real people, Bobby Axelrod from the Showtime drama Billions, was not afforded the same opportunity in New York due to his lack of character. Although the reference is purposefully fictitious, the principle still applies. Ultimately, a company that is not constantly working to improve will not survive in the long term. Reevaluating that which we unconsciously think are mutually exclusive and brainstorming ways in which we can reevaluating that which we unconsciously think are mutually exclusive and brainstorming ways in which they can be combined and leveraged is one way to stay ahead of the competition. Society. The drawbacks of mutual exclusivity are not confined to business. Sweeping societal issues can often seem at odds with each other too, with sides entrenched within their own camp and unwilling to cooperate with the other side. In this instance, mutual exclusivity fuels tribalism. A highly relevant example is supporting the racial justice movement and supporting the police. Some people see these two issues at odds with each other, with one losing while the other wins. This is the wrong way to think about it. Even if one side did prevail over the other, it would be short-lived and full of malice. Instead, finding common ground so both are improved 
results in a stronger solution that can move us forward together as a society. They aren't mutually exclusive. Both can benefit. Another current societal movement is feminism. Some people, the number seems to have thankfully dropped, think that this is the battle of the sexes, men versus women, where there's a winner and a loser. Again, wrong way to think about this. They are not mutually exclusive. Both can win, especially when it comes to the family unit, for example, education and financial considerations, or the economy. The economy is a summation of its parts and improving the professional opportunity for 50% of the population would have a marked impact. Or another wrinkle of misperception within the feminism movement is that some people think that being a feminist means that one cannot be a homemaker, secretary, flight attendant, personal assistant, or some other commonly female profession that may or may not be paid. They're perceived as incongruent and mutually exclusive. To combat this issue, we should start with the definition. What is feminism? What is a feminist? Once we understand that feminism is the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of both the sexes, and a feminist is an advocate for those rights, then we can understand that a woman having the autonomy to make the decision of what profession she goes into without undue limiting influences that aren't prevalent in male counterparts is what matters, not the actual profession with which she chooses. The last example we will present is the misperception of mutual exclusivity between being a person of science and being spiritual. Indeed, many have argued that science proves there is no God. Yet there are scientists around the globe who believe in some form of higher power. One of the most profound scientists in modern history actually addresses this in one of his books. Quote, Science is not only compatible with spirituality, it is a profound source of spirituality. When we recognize our place in an immensity of light years, and in the passage of ages, when we grasp the intricacy, beauty, and subtlety of life, then that soaring feeling, that sense of elation and humility combined, is surely spiritual. So are our emotions in the presence of great art, or music, or literature, or acts of exemplary selfless courage, such as those of Mohandas Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. The notion that science and spirituality are somehow mutually exclusive does a disservice to both. End quote. Carl Sagan, The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. Personal. How many potentially satisfying relationships have we missed out on because of viewing someone as only one way? How many years have been spent enduring a job that we don't like? Both of these are important questions when pondering the reach of perceptions of mutual exclusivity. We are social creatures, and as such, quality connections with others is vitally important to our lives. Tony Shea defined his success by both the quantity and depth of relationships he had in his life. Jonathan Haidt posits in his book, The Happiness Hypothesis, that happiness doesn't come from within so much as it does from between others. Following that notion, it would make sense that we should seek to optimize the number and depth of our relationships in our lives. When we unnecessarily discard opportunities to connect with others based on misperceptions of personal qualities that person has, we ultimately lose. That isn't to say that we should be friends with everyone, but just because someone doesn't think like you doesn't mean you cannot have a wonderful friendship. People are highly complex, dynamic beings who are influenced by genetics and their environment to varying degrees every day. One negative quality you believe them to have and your ability to be friends with them is not necessarily mutually exclusive. If we give others the benefit of the doubt, our lives might be that much richer. Quote, 
After all, what can a first impression tell us about someone we've just met for a minute in the lobby of a hotel? For that matter, what can a first impression tell us about anyone? Why, no more than a chord can tell us about Beethoven, or a brushstroke about Botticelli. By their very nature, human beings are so capricious, so complex, so delightfully contradictory, that they deserve not only our consideration, but our reconsideration, and our unwavering determination to withhold our opinion until we have engaged with them in every possible setting, at every possible hour." End quote. Amor Tauls, A Gentleman in Moscow. Conclusion. There are times when things are mutually exclusive. For example, turn left and turning right. We can turn left and then turn right, or we can turn right and then left. We can even turn so far left that it would be the same as turning right, but we cannot turn both left and right at the same time. Another example is flipping a coin. We can flip heads or tails, but not both on a single flip. As simple as those examples are, they're important to keep us in the gray. Not everything is mutually exclusive, but not everything is not mutually exclusive. It is that which we falsely believe to be mutually exclusive is where the opportunity lies to improve our thinking. Quote, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. End quote. Mark Twain. In the end, it may be easier to view many aspects of life as mutually exclusive, but when we do this, we are unwittingly blocking off entire other realms of possibility from which we and others can benefit. If we can change our black and white thinking to seeing and accepting the gray in life, think about how much we can change for the better. Quote, Where the head goes, the body follows. Perception precedes action. Right action follows the right perspective. End quote. Ryan Holiday, The Obstacle is the Way. We hope you have enjoyed this reading of Misperceptions of Mutual Exclusivity from Palladium Park's blog. If so, please stick around for the forthcoming discussion, and we invite you to visit the blog at palladiumpark.com posts to read this post as well as other writings on there. All right, so we hope that you enjoyed the reading of the blog post Misperceptions of Mutual Exclusivity, and now with that, we're going to move into this portion where we actually discuss it good place to start is where the idea for this actually came from. I was reading the book Good Company by Arthur Blank, who is the co-founder of the Home Depot. And it's a recent book. I think it came out in the fall of 2020. And anyways, he, he kind of talks about his life and business principles and just what he thinks is important as a leader, as a citizen, as a business person, and as an investor. And so one of the things that he kind of talks about early on in the book is how it's sad to him to see how people don't trust big business. He, and by no means does he blame them. In fact, he, he says that their feelings are very appropriate, especially for what you see in the news and newspapers and stuff about certain nefarious corporate actors. But this idea that he has that we included in the blog post and it was just read, but I'll uh, mention this again, says businesses can and should do great things. They can be part of the solution, not the problem. And he kind of fleshes out this idea of it's not all about just making a quick buck in business. It's all about strength and playing the long game. And so if you're trying to screw the customer, or take advantage of somebody, it might work the first time, might work the second time, but it's not going to work for 20 years, 50 years, which is really for any true business person who's trying to make something last, that's not their goal. They're in it for the, the long haul. And so that's kind of what he's talking about. And so he got us thinking about, all right, that is 
kind of something that people think is mutually exclusive. You, you, either the business is there to make a bunch of money for its shareholders, which the Home Depot was a publicly traded company. Um, so obviously their earnings reports were very important to Wall Street. Or the business is there for more like charitable purposes and big ideas and stuff like that, which is good, but they don't really, you don't get rich from it. And Arthur Blank tries to dispel that notion in his book where obviously he became a billionaire from the Home Depot. And obviously the Home Depot was not perfect by any means. No business is, especially when you get into larger businesses, it's hard to keep track of every single employee and make sure that they're doing the right thing at all the time. And people just screw up sometimes. But he says that the goal of it should be to find this marriage between a company's success and all metrics of success from like growing your employees to expanding market share to growing revenues and profits and, and things like that to also being a good citizen, taking care of the community in which you serve. Because ultimately, if you're if you're take, taking advantage of the community that you serve, then your community is going to be sick and weak. And in turn, you will be sick and weak. It kind of gets into the, and he doesn't really talk about this, but it kind of gets into the food chain and the idea of how if a, a certain predatory population grows too strong and they eat too many of their prey, then there's not enough to sustain their population and then they get weaker and die off. So there's this balance that needs to be achieved. And anyways, kind of long-winded way of saying that's what he's talking about here on how it's not one or the other. There are many middle roads to varying degrees and trying to find one of the middle roads is usually tougher in the short term, but it benefits you much better in the long term. And I remember when you first read that book, that's kind of what started this. And we talked a lot about it. And then, yeah, especially, especially this point of mutual exclusivity came up. And it's funny because you'll notice a difference in the way Colin takes a very concrete, good business example. And then I, my takeaway is like some big abstract thing. But it really, when our conversation got us thinking about, and it's one of our favorite things too, is that we come, we'll have two different examples that are very different and like, but match it perfectly in the way that we think. And this is kind of one of those where it got me really thinking about, yeah, most of mutual exclusivity is like a default program in our brain where it's like, after we talked about this, I didn't realize how often my brain naturally does that. Of, of It's almost an assumption that things are these things are mutually exclusive, right? Like it's like that thing. And it's like, unless you actually are aware of it and think deep a little bit more deeply on it, it's so easy to think that about a lot of different things. Kind of like we, as we went through at the business example you just talked about is a great one, but also like in society and in politics and so many different things. And you don't realize like in, on a big and small scale, how much it really gets into everything. And so it's something like this got, it, it's been good to remind myself to be on the lookout for it and to not, and to be curious about those things I assume and be like, are these actually mutually exclusive? And a lot of times they're not. It's a, it's a gray area where there it's, there's very few things that are definitively mutually exclusive. They exist, but Right. Yeah. And we kind of talk about that too in the, the post about, you know, if you get to a stoplight, you can either turn right or turn left. You can't do both. Yeah. So yeah, um, there are definitely some, but yeah, a lot of the time we just say you're, you're either one way or another. As a business, you can either make money or you can change the world. You can't really both, which you hear a lot of people rolling their eyes and stuff. Yeah, obviously it is a, a lot more difficult. And for what we're talking about here, we're talking about in the in the blog post, we're talking about Arthur Blank, who, like I said, co-founder of the Home Depot, was the CEO for Home Depot for a long time. Now he has a holding company that owns the Atlanta Falcons, the MLS soccer team, Atlanta United. 
obviously still owns a bunch of shares at Home Depot. He has these other uh, real estate development company and um, hospitality companies and stuff like that. So obviously he succeeded in the life of business at, at least for the metrics that most people use. And then the next one was Tony Shea, who recently passed away, but he was the CEO of Zappos, which he was an early investor and be, he became CEO and took that company from basically nothing to uh, selling it to Amazon probably about 10 years ago for a billion, over a billion dollars. And so obviously these people, you, you could say, okay, this is survivorship bias. What about all the people who tried to do this and failed? And yeah, absolutely. Not, I hope nobody is taking away from this that this is a sure recipe for success. Follow these steps, one, two, three, you know, that probably get a lot of uh, clicks online if we yeah. said, but these are the steps for to become a billionaire. that's that's the clickbait thing of what it it sells it gets people to click but a fundamental principle i think i can speak for both of us you feel free to contradict me if you disagree but i i think i know the answer but it's there's it's the magic pill thing there's no magic pill or easy answer to like the most difficult questions and the important things there's no there's no easy answer it might be simple but it's going to be difficult it's like anything that if something there's a cost to everything so if it feels too easy it's probably bullshit or it's not going to work how you think Right. Yeah. For all the people who are rightfully saying survivorship bias is here. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. We, we, we would have to write a book if we were going to show all the ones who tried and failed. And that's not really the point of this. But we should mention that obviously we're looking at the survivors and there is an execution risk. But regardless, the, the principle still stands about how not everything is mutually exclusive. And so then that was kind of just the business side of it. But we also well, looked at society in person. Yeah. And I think an important point you made that I want to highlight again, because it got me thinking too, was it's important to realize that it's like, if you say, because a lot of people, like you said, might be rolling their eyes and be like, oh, you can't do both. It's like, well, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you say you can't, there's no way you're going to, right? And so it's it's towing that line of not going in totally naive saying, I'm going to make all the money and change the world. It's like, no, it's it's a difficult feat. So it's being realistic that way that there are going to be real challenges of towing that line. But if you say it's impossible and it's mutually exclusive, you're definitely not going to do it then. So it's kind of, it's that kind of pessimism, optimism, a mixture of both, you know, some realism, some pragmatism, but also understanding that, you know, if you don't look forward and you don't look up, you won't change anything. So yeah, I think you said that earlier and I really liked that because I think that's a good distinction between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point to make. It was all from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do I do what I can. <laughs> so anyways, th- this kind of got us thinking about, you know, different business aspects and stuff. And, and in the post, we talked about how it gives you a divergence vantage point and you're divergent and correct. That's really the the goal in order to succeed. But it also makes you think, okay, well, He's talking about business, he being Arthur Blank. He's talking about business and kind of melding that with the environment that they're in and stuff like that. But how, how else can that can apply to our own lives? For the people who are small business owners, they can obviously take a lot away from that. But what about just society as a whole? So that's why we, we kind of broke this out into the business side, the societal part, and then just personal parts in our lives. And so we included a few examples in there that you heard in the reading about, you know, the, the feminism movement, racial justice movement could really be a whole wide ranging range of topics. And and some of them could be very controversial, like abortion, um, stuff like that. And so that could be another thing where people think, 
it's this way or it's that way. There's there's no in between. And I'm not saying that there is an in between, but if there is, you're gonna miss it if you think that way. Yeah, I think too with stuff like this, it the, the a theme I see a lot and see if you agree is whenever there's unrest or there's reform or change, people get all humans we get uncomfortable, and so with that, it's anytime we kind of feel that uncom- uncomfortableness or we're out of our depth or things like that, we like to go to absolutes. And I think mutual exclusivity is a a form of that, of kind of black or white thinking of this or that. And so a lot of these hot button issues that people have, you know, deep feelings about, whether, like you said, it's abortion or even feminism, you hear so often when people maybe have critiques or are uncomfortable with it and they're unfamiliar, then they'll say like, oh, it's one or the other, right? Where, oh, if you're feminist, then you hate men. It's like, oh, no, no, that's same thing with you said, of it's kind of holding the it's like the sign of a great mind is holding two contradictory ideas in a way of saying like black lives matter has a lot of like we need reform and oversight in our police work but also there's a lot of really great cop you know it's not saying all cops are bad right it's like a lot of cop it's a hard job and they do great work and so it's not one or the other it's not saying like one is completely right and one is completely wrong because that's just not it's not even helpful really right in that conversation it's like it's not constructive that's the word really to help change and move forward to make it better for everybody and so yeah i think that's maybe that i hadn't thought of that before reading this but i think that's the undercurrent which some people might be like no duh but it's a good kind of little connecting the dots for me yeah and i i really like that quote by f scott fitzgerald that you just said about the, the it's a, a mark of an intelligent mind to hold two opposing ideas simultaneously and not go insane or something along those lines yeah and yeah, and and it's important too. That's kind of what we're trying to flesh out a little bit in this blog post. Is it, there's two two parts of this. One is intelligence. You have to be intelligent to know that there's more than just a black and white. But then two, you have to not be lazy and actually put forth effort because it's so much easier to say it it's this way or it's that way, and those are the two options, and that's it. Pathways so, resistance. Yep. Right. Yep. So, yeah, it's it's the marriage of those two, intelligence and effort. Yeah, definitely. Being intentional about it. Because mm-hmm. your brain's just not going to naturally do it without practice and intent. Right. And uh, we didn't have this in the blog post. I, I read this later after we, we posted it. But, Jenna, we've talked about this. And uh, we'll probably have a, a blog post or a write-up or something about this at some point in time. It's uh, in the book Principles, Life and Work by Ray Dalio. It's actually one of our books for 2021 um, that you can see on our website. But anyways, he, he has a quote in there. And if, if you don't know Ray Dalio, you're listening to this and you don't know, he is one of the founders or the founder, really, of Bridgewater Associates. It is a private investment group, really kind of a hedge fund. And they have consultants or, or they consult for, they have clients all over the world, including the World Bank, uh, the IMF, various uh, mutual funds and other hedge funds and uh, countries and et cetera, et cetera. So really, really big player in, in the space. And he's he's a guy that really tries to dig into the meaning of things. And he, he views the world kind of from a, a Newtonian perspective, or if you can understand the, the workings of each individual's smallest elements of something then you can understand how the whole works and so he, he calls everything it, it's like a machine and so anyways he had, he had a quote in the book that really just ties into the 
idea of this misperception of mutual exclusivity. And so he, he says, when faced with the choice between two things that are seemingly at odds, go slowly to figure out how you can have as much of both as possible. There's almost always a good path that you just haven't figured out yet. So look for it until you find it rather than settle for a choice that is then apparent to you. So mm. a little bit of survivorship bias again here. He, this is a, a billionaire who has done quite well. But anyways, he says it in a different way. Same principle, but he came to understand it through different means. Yeah, I like that one, though. I think it's very applicable to life because it's not just his own experience. It, it, you can see it fitting everywhere quite well. And it's broad enough to kind of you can mold it to your purposes and what you're doing. I think, too, when we first talked about this, because I remember you said that quote and I really liked it and it got us thinking. And it's nice because it this idea, it's kind of when we're talking about it not being their default setting, it's like it, it is making the world because our default, we kind of simplify the world. And it's good our brain does that because it helps us not go crazy because the world's so complex. So it helps us make sense out of it. So doing this and being intentional, like we talked about and training your brain is making things more complex. It is. It's adding nuance. But it's like it's but it's all about how you again, how you perceive it. And so what he's talking about there, too, it's saying like getting as much as, of both as you can. If you instead of saying, oh, this is exhausting and tiring, if it can make it exciting, difficult, but exciting, like because if you train your brain. I think we've both worked at this and I've gotten better over time and I think I've gotten pretty good at it now. And it applies to, you know, people, society, politics, you know, business, any of that is instead of being like, oh, this is so hard. It's like, oh, this is exciting because when somebody has things that seem mutually exclusive, but they're not, that person's interesting. And so framing it as, oh, this is interesting in this business or this person, and it makes it so it's, it's easier to carry that in your head because it's a bit of cognitive dissonance at times because there's two seemingly contrary things that are happening at once but if you're instead of being bogged down by that if you train yourself to be like oh that's new and, and keeping that curiosity that we talk about all the time and getting as much as much as both and realizing it's making it more vivid and more nuanced and a better picture of the world that kind of changes your whole perspective and gives you more energy instead of you know letting it sap the energy from you by saying this is so hard and difficult and it's bogging me down mm-hmm. kind of thing Right. Yeah, that that's an important thing to say to uh, reprogram your brain to not be scared for something that's new, because sometimes when we uh, are unfamiliar with something, the amygdala gets a little bit activated and just out of evolutionary needs to survive. Yeah. But then it, it's a lot harder to be actually curious or excited when you're scared about something. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's an important thing to reprogram your, your brain to say, oh, this is new. This is exciting I'm, I'm curious i want to learn more about this rather than i don't know what this is this is what i'm used to don't feel safe <laughs> so yeah well like anything it's like a muscle where it it's not always roses it's not like well it's not this thing where you go one day you're like i now i'm curious about everything and it's great it's like no you'll i still have, we all have bad days where you don't do it but it's like if you, the first step is just being aware being intentional about it and then just trying it and it's amazing how over time, the more you do it, it just becomes, you don't even really have to think about it anymore. It becomes second nature, just kind of like muscle memory. Mm-hmm. At least that's the goal. Yeah. I think that plays into the kind of the personal part of that post too, about just being able to relate with other people and, and form friendships or relationships of whatever kind. Yeah. Kind of, kind of thinking about how when we unnecessarily discard opportunities to connect with others based on misperceptions of their personal qualities we potentially 
lose because we we missed out on potentially a fulfilling relationship or even just a, a singular engagement with that person. Yeah. So, yeah, people are highly complex and, and they're dynamic. So the way that they behave under certain circumstances one day could be completely different to another kind of and it plays into the, the gentleman in Moscow quote that we have there about how people don't deserve our consideration, but our reconsideration under Definitely. multiple, uh, multiple settings, multiple times. Yeah. So, well, and I think, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off too. No, you're good. I was just going to say, I think too, with mutual exclusivity, it, if you can avoid it, it helps make you more open-minded and less judgmental. And sometimes you don't even mean to, but it appears to the other pe- other people as it can easily, you can put them into boxes and people don't really like that. It, it kind of ties into, we've been talking about this a lot, Colin, where it blows our mind how often people, it's more of the EQ side of it versus IQ, where I wish this was taught more because a lot of it's really simple, not easy, but simple in terms of getting people to like you or having friend, like basic connections with people is a lot of people think you have to be the most interesting and that's completely wrong. You just have to be interested. It's amazing if you sit and really listen and actively listen to people how much, especially non-judgmentally and with that curiosity and not trying to put them into a box, whether, and a lot of times we don't even mean to, it's that, that's the thing about mutual exclusivity. It's not you trying to be an a-hole or trying to, but it just, it naturally happens. Our brain tricks us into that. So if you can combat that, you'll be amazed that if you really listen to people and are open and let them show you their contradictions and the whole picture of them, one, you'll likely enjoy them more because it's exciting to see that and it's something different and exciting but also you'll be surprised how much they engage with you because so many people don't get listened to and don't get judged and it, it's just it's not easy but it's a very simple thing and man it works really well i highly if you a lot of people probably already know this but if you don't try it in your life you'll be surprised how easy people will be like wow they just want to hang out with you because you make them feel so good because it's just about listening and not being judgmental and not using mutual exclusivity against them, whether you mean to or not. Right. Yep. I think that that kind of covers everything in the post. Jenna, is there anything that we didn't really cover at all? I don't think so. I think I, I got my sermon out. I got a little about my soapbox <laughs> there, but, but you know how I feel about EQ. It's so, it, it's, it's so vital. It's crazy important. Yeah. Even just, you know, people, obviously they, for, and I, I'm thinking about professionals now, getting off on a little bit of a tangent but love it you, you don't really hire an attorney based on how good of an attorney they are i mean to a degree yes but and same with an architect an engineer an accountant anything like that but if you have an engineer who does a good job or an attorney who does a good job and they are pleasure to work with they legitimately care about you even if they might have a little bit less experience than another one who is completely cold or something like that you're going to pick the person who makes you feel good that's who people want to do business with and so it's not about i mean yes your your technical skills do have to be good enough not saying that you can just throw those away (laughs) but but if you have uh, that foundation if you hit that cutoff right right then the the part where the the eq the connectability to that person really starts to kick in and uh plays a huge role so yeah you're you're absolutely right about how important that is yeah I think that's a great add-on to that though with that of in work also on a personal level too you'll be surprised it's kind of the thing of like they've done a lot of happiness research and it's like small acts of kindness and connection make us a lot happier than things even though 
our brains trick us the other way and that that's a small way you'll find if you're not the center of attention but if you start listening to people and feeling that connection with them and people really they'll almost like thank you at times like people have said that stuff like that to me you'll feel so much better too you'll be surprised how fulfilled you feel and it is it is a way of kindness it seems small but it's huge to people and so it's not only beneficial for you and your career but it also helps you it's anything that's mutually beneficial like that for others and yourself it's a win-win can't really go wrong at least in my mind but yeah I liked this post and when you talked about it I'd never made that exact connection with EQ of like you know mutual exclusivity can lead to unconscious or subconscious judgment or easily making people feel that way or putting them into boxes I hadn't made that direct connection before so I like that that's a good overlap absolutely yep I guess kind of to to wrap this up it's uh important to understand you know not everything is mutually exclusive but not everything is not mutually exclusive if uh if you can follow that so kind of remains uh reminds me about the, the mark twain quote it ain't what you know that gets you into trouble it's what you know for sure that just ain't so nailed it i think that's the the place to leave it perfect all right well i hope that everybody enjoyed the both the, the reading and the conversation of this blog post and um, there will be many more to come. Uh, as always, you can check out all of our blog posts uh, on our website and can listen to any of our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever, basically wherever you get your podcasts. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed and we will see you soon.